Hello from ABA Mid-Year Meeting 2017 in Miami, Florida. I'm Lawrence Coletti. Rich Rappaport. Netta Gomeshi. Brian Thompson. Emily Graham. Tyler Rabinowitz. Jose Sariego. Shannon Harvey. And we're on the road with Legal Talk Network. back. Obviously, you heard that we have a gigantic panel. This is the largest one for ABA Mid-Year. So thank you, everybody, for stopping by and coming and talk to us. So you guys were presenting at an event, and I've got the name right here. It's called Tales from the Red Carpet, What Every Attorney Needs to Know About Producing and Directing in Film and Television in the Age of the New Media. So first of all, who came up with that title? That was my idea. (laughs) <laughs> and nobody sent back an angry email, so we stuck with it. <laughs> I was somewhat concerned because uh, Rich has always talked to me very gently, and that was the most forceful I think you've ever responded to anything. <laughs> so that was a great title. It's a huge panel. Uh, you guys look like you had a lot of fun. It sounded like it went all right. Anything explosive happen? Um, let me just let each of the panelists address to you what was explosive. Nana, what was explosive? You know, honestly, it was a great panel. No major issues. Great questions and a great audience. I have no complaints. Yeah, it was fantastic. We talked a lot about new media, the digital age, web series, creation, and some of the legal issues that pop up uh, in that process, and it was fantastic. I think it was a bit explosive when Richard said, uh, you know, how you can get thrown out of Hollywood and never never (laughs) be able to come back. I just said (laughs) that if you don't do a good job in Hollywood, it'll be enough just to get out of the airport, but you won't have a lunch in Beverly Hills again. (laughs) That sounds pretty scary. (laughs) Tyler. Yes, I mean, I felt like it was pretty explosive as, a, as an upcoming filmmaker to just find myself on the panel to begin with. It was a really exciting experience just getting to talk with all of these incredible people. And I've really learned a lot over the last three years getting started and my relationship to people like Rich. Um, and so I was excited to get to talk about that and also express a little bit of the importance of why people like me need to be involved and excited to get to know all the different legal aspects of entertainment. He is a director and a Sundance fellow. Oh, welcome. I have a question for you later on. Great. Well, uh, unlike a lot of other panels, legal panels that are a little dry and boring, I think because we had Brian and Tyler on the panel, it got uh, pretty lively and very practical. Very practical. I like that. Yes, what I loved about it, what made it so dynamic, it was a combination of two things, law and combining that with practical knowledge, you know, making people's dreams come true, creators, directors, producers, and actually just uh, doing it. So it was awesome. Well, without implication, on purpose, or by accident, did anybody mention the word cloture? We don't have to. We're the entertainment industry. We don't believe in cloture. Everything is open all the time. Guys, you agree? <laughs> I agree. Cloture? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm keeping it nonpartisan. Cloture is the name of a restaurant in Bel Air, as far as we're concerned. <laughs> okay. It was totally nonpartisan. <laughs> totally nonpartisan. Terrific, terrific. Well, thank you guys for coming by. So I have a special treat for you. Um, obviously, these aren't the waters that I normally swim in. Uh, Rich told me a little bit about everybody's background. I got to admit, I'll admit this on the air, I was a little intimidated. I'm like, there's seven people, and I don't know what I'm going to say. So I made some calls. And so I'm kind of excited because I felt like this was a good reach. So I've got uh, two questions that come from somebody who uh, started his life as a child actor in Hollywood and then later became an attorney 
and is now an author and practices in entertainment law. And so his name is Jeff B. Cohen. And so he starred obviously in Goonies as Chunk uh, starting off. And so I remember that role pretty well. It's pretty funny for me. So now he's the author of a new book. It's called The Dealmaker's 10 Commandments, 10 Essential Tools for Business Forged in the Trenches of Hollywood. So very appropriate here for the panel. And uh, he's also, um, like I said, he was in entertainment law. So he uh, as clients in the entertainment industry, media, and technology verticals. And so I thought also that's very apt for what we're talking about based on the title of your presentation, which is very long. So I've got two questions for you. I heard Sundance, and so I think we'll start with that one. I'll just direct it out there. So in light of recent happenings at Sundance, how will studios compete with agile digital buyers like Netflix? It's really interesting because when you show up to Sundance now, a large majority, if not I would say most of the films already have their distribution deal in place. The Sundance uh, Film Festival now seems to be largely a giant marketing tool for the filmmaker and for the film, uh, and also a good test run to see how an audience reacts. But as far as the distribution deal, there were so many of them that already began with the Netflix header or the uh, YouTube Red header at the beginning of the film. And so that was, it's definitely changing. Now, I think studios just have to, and I think I believe are, looking to have a digital presence, you know, uh, and HBO Go and all of those different platforms. Yeah, the problem is that the traditional studios have such an embedded base in the non-digital world that they have to protect. They're all trying to get into the space, but it's just, you know, they're not built for it. They're not structurally set up for it. Yeah, and I, I would say that a key there is for studios to start recognizing that a movie shown in a movie theater is really now a, a part of a marketing strategy, I think, as opposed to the ultimate end result or the big goal to reach. It's really, how is it going to continue to live and thrive online in a digital space? I think uh, one of the problems that the traditional studios have is their recruiting process. Because if you can get to that content first, the, a lot of these independent filmmakers the first one to them with a decent amount of money is is going to be the winner. So what they're actually where they're feeling is they're losing that race. Uh, one of the ways that they can win that race is by participating in festivals, uh, non-traditional festivals or festivals that are smaller. Because at the end of the day, there are some mid-sized festivals that have really good, competent, competitive content. Nana. So I think, you know, avenues like Netflix or Amazon, they provide so many resources and in regard to streaming that it's incredibly competitive. And, you know, like Tyler was mentioning, I think that when people go to Sundance, they already have a distribution company lined up. But it's interesting to see how often um, those negotiations are taking place at Sundance as opposed to before or after. Emily. Talking about the other film festivals, there are film festivals for everything. I mean, for horror, for, you know, I mean... <laughs> I was thinking about pornography for some of my other clients, but um, I mean, there, there are literally film festivals for everything, so don't feel like you are, are backed into one kind of film festival, Sundance or Tribeca, the big ones. Look for ones that are really up your alley. You know, Lawrence, content is what it's all about. Whether it's music, film, or television, or the arts, it's all about the content. The, the distribution, the mechanism by which content gets out there is about its creative sense, its creative style. So I think people should not be focusing so much on digital versus uh, more traditional. Uh, they're all moving in the same direction. The, the money really is that direction, so that more films can be made. Okay, I gotcha, I gotcha. So uh, not to uh, belabor the point, but this is the second question. 
<laughs> so, because you're talking, you know, this has been, I, I don't know, I've called this, this is purely from the consumer end of it. You know, I'm not, you know, in the, in the industry like you guys are, but purely from the consumer uh, aspect that I've enjoyed Breaking Bad and shows like that, these gigantic production for, you know, binge watch and, uh, you know, sit and, you know, on the, on the couch all weekend to be a couch it's, potato. It's, it's an Emmy award winning show. There you go. It's all about that. I mean, and the Emmys drive more business to the show. It's incredible. Have you been to the Emmys? I have never been Why to the Emmys. Why have you not been to the Emmys? I don't know. You I might... have a great voice. You need to be doing the Emmys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Rich is the best. Rich is the best. He also gave me a great segue for my second question. And so we've all heard expressions like 50s the new 40, 40s the new 30, 30s are the new 20s. And so here comes the question. This is the second one from Jeff B. Cohen. And he said, in terms of prominence in the industry, and you're talking about the Emmys, are the Emmys the new Oscars? Yes. <laughs> That's comparing apples and oranges. That apples not, and oranges. It's, it's not fair. It's, Emily is right. The Emmys are the new Oscars and the Oscars are the new Emmys. Meaning that the content is all over the universe. The Webfest is the new Oscars for the web. <laughs> I would definitely agree with that. Well, I think you need to look at some of the digital award mm -hmm. shows, and really that's where the future is going to be. I think both the Emmys and the Oscars and the Golden Globes and are, the Tonys. are old media, but old media is not going away. It's just that there's a lot of new media out there that people should really start appreciating. Yeah, I would go as far as to say with regards to awards and deciding what is the most esteemed show, I think it's not even an Oscar or an Emmy. I think it's how many views do you have, how many subscribers do you have, how much interaction engagement do you have on Twitter, what are the analytics. I think that that is a great way of defining what is the most successful show right now. And I find that people want to jump for anything that involves like a YouTuber or somebody who has developed that kind of a following. And it is starting to be reflected in award shows like with Stranger Things winning for the ensemble, winning their SAG award. I think that those shows that had that rapid viral sensation happen are the ones that are being celebrated. It's getting closer to the music business where, you know, you really want to show that you have a certain amount of followers and then, you know, the people will come to you to want to distribute to, you know, to help yeah, you out. Um, I mean, everyone watches television to watch the Grammys. It's all about television. The Grammys are all about television, as are the Emmys. They share their delivery systems, their venues, they share their uh, electronic venues. So it's a great question, but it leads us down that same path. How good is the content? Where can we find it? Because great content rises to the top, right? I would say that it's not so much one is better than the other, it's that the, the separation between them is beginning to close up because things that were traditionally always in movie theaters and now maybe on television and on the web, so I think that the, you know, the, the closing the gap between the differences in the type of award shows. So in terms of the new media, so like one of the things that drives our business is iTunes. You know, the ability to be literally in everybody's, I'm in everybody's pocket right now if you have a smartphone. You know, these interviews will be out either tomorrow or they'll be out Monday and we'll be in your pocket. If you want us, we're there. And that is just an amazing distribution channel you know, around the world. I mean, around the world, you know, before it was limited by, you know, terrestrial-based radio. So <laughs> if you were in range of that frequency, you'd get it. But now, literally, everywhere in the world. So these, these distribution systems, this, like, motive of convenience, you know, I think driving everything. And like you said, Rich, I do think 100% agree. Content, the best will rise to the top because now it's easier than ever, for example, to make a podcast. But why is everybody going to listen to some guy, you know, sitting out there hugging a palm tree? You know, he or she wants to be informed or entertained, and and so um, I guess like 
using that as a nice jumping off point. You know, they've got this huge distribution medium and it's getting better and better, high-speed internet. Where does that put the attorneys? You know, it seems like the, the base for representation okay. of these clients is. This is where it puts the attorneys. It's like having your enemy to dinner and he eats everything and you say, aren't you leaving? No, I think I'll stick around. We're sticking around. You, you need us. You need us. And this issue came up during the panel. We <laughs> Wait, every, how did this issue come up during the panel? Like, Well, we had an attendee who told us, suggested to us, that attorneys were not part of the process. <laughs> now, you can go around this table and ask every one of us, including our director, who's going to be a famous director someday, he's on his way, whether or not attorneys are important. We are pivotal, we are particularly significant to every aspect of the process in music, film, television, or the arts. Doesn't make any difference. Whether you're on Broadway or Midway, wherever that may be, it doesn't make a difference. We live a life of service to the industry. We serve our clients and we perform a service for the industry by keeping people out of court as much as we can or if we have to be in court, to win. So I think one of the issues that you have with the media and how quickly everything is dispersed throughout the media is approaching and handling the situation. So you have social media and if one of your celebrity clients posts something, let's say they have an endorsement deal with Coca-Cola and they're drinking a Pepsi drink and they post that photo, you have to be on your phone 24-7 to respond to that issue because now you're affecting the deal between your client and Coca-Cola. So I think that lawyers are just more so always on the clock at this point. I'm new to this, so I don't know how it was in previous years, but I just imagine that with technology, it's just a lot faster now, and there are a lot more consequences. With new media, it creates more opportunities for attorneys because you've opened up the playing field to people who previously couldn't really get into the filmmaking business because uh, their barrier to entry was economic. So now, with digital media, you can create something that doesn't have to cost you know, a million dollars and be in a situation where you can actually make money. And so when you're in that position, then there's all kinds of legal issues that come into play in terms of just making the deal itself. And then also, because the, the people are less advanced in terms of their legal knowledge, then they are going to stumble. And you'll be able to, as, as an attorney, you're there to pick them up when they fall. Well, we've also had to pick up new skill sets because we all have to know how this social media, how the new media works. And in order to be able to explain it to our clients, to be able to negotiate agreements with the different platforms and to represent different types of clients like influencers who uh, come from really a completely different background and perspective. And at the end of the day, it's about making money. So um, there are different ways to make money. <laughs> I like this answer. <laughs> <laughs> Show me the money. <laughs> and I think because everything could be so quickly publicized now, it, it, there's more room for creators to make legal errors. If you're sitting behind your webcam and, and talking about something and you're playing music in the background and then it goes viral and that artist of the music doesn't like it, then you know there's an issue. Whereas before, you had to go through a chain of command before it would get approved to be published or broadcast in whatever level. So I think um, errors could happen more, more frequently now. Yeah, that came up on the panel a bit is the idea that you know, with this digital, this web content, it feels so casual and so simple to be able to put something on an internet space. Or, you, I mean, you're just a lot of YouTubers, you know, they just start out on their personal YouTube account uploading video after video after video without recognizing all the, the different legal implications. And so I like what Jose was speaking to me a bit about after the panel is that, you know, he had said, 
it's an exciting time to be an entertainment lawyer. And I mean, I can't speak to that, but I can certainly see what he means by that, for sure. And um, with with all these, you know, more unsophisticated filmmakers, there's a lot of money that does get left on the table. Sometimes um, there are things they don't know about that they can do, like um, tax incentives, production incentives, um, all sorts of of different tax structuring and, and business structuring. Works for hire can have a different consequence from, you know, employment agreements and, and all that. So it's still business and, and people, you know, are creatives and they have to remember that, you know, unless this is, you know, like a vanity film, you know, they want to make some money and, and they should consult experts about the details. So who here on the panel is an attorney? So we have a director. So we've got attorney, we've got uh, Emily, we had Netta, we had Shannon, Jose. We're all directors except for Tyler. Gotcha. Okay. I gotcha. I gotcha. So, you know, one of the one of the things I find so interesting, you're talking, to, Emily, you're talking about these social platforms and, you know, just the ability for people to connect in ways that we couldn't have possibly imagined 10 years ago. You know, I'm wearing an Apple Watch right now and somebody can, like, touch me, which is a little bit creepy, you know, if it's a friend, like, tap you and you can feel it on your wrist. And so, you know, we didn't think about Twitter, you know, 10 years ago. We didn't think about YouTube, what, 10, 15 years ago. And, uh, you know, so... I remember one time, this is kind of early in my, in my work, we had an image release contract I wanted to put together. We had some people that were modeling for a website that we were working on. So I didn't know, you know anything about it. You know, I searched kind of the standard looking for templates and forms. And, and the one that I liked the best was like a roller derby image uh, release. And so I looked at it and I read it. And the list, it, it talked about all these standard mediums like radio. We'll use your image for radio. We'll use it for um, you know, promos for them. We'll, we'll do TV. We'll do this. And then it like had this sort of like out there space clause in there, like anything that's been invented today or possibly could be invented tomorrow. But with that, you, know, you guys see what's going on in the world today. How difficult is that for you when you're representing your clients to be in front of that, those moving targets, that change in technology, that change in reach? Well, Jose was talking about those clauses on the panel. Well, uh, first you've got to use it. I think it, you know, it helps to understand that a lot of attorneys, they don't even have you know, LinkedIn, much less Twitter or right. you know, Facebook or any of that stuff. And you've got to know how the technology works. But you know, there's a mantra in the industry, which is any and all rights in all media in perpetuity throughout the universe. And you know, that, that's the gold standard. That's what you want to get for your client or if you're on the other side. To me, it, it underscores the point as to why it's so important to have counsel. Our skill sets not only lie in transactional matters and the avoidance of litigation, but to help pave a way intellectually for a client to have a better understanding of, of all of these diverse elements that go into making content as good as it can be made. We act as facilitators. We help bring in tax attorneys. We help bring in accountants, prognosticators, people who live within the industry, and this is what they do all the day. So it's a more of a goal to be realized, and that's what partly what our purpose is. Did you all know each other before the panel got put together by Rich? We, we, had a, we have a motorcycle gang. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't know Rich that, did you? I didn't know that. I'm learning that for the first time right now. Mm-hmm. So before the motorcycle gang, before the panel, did you guys know each other? No. Uh, I know Richard well, and it, it really... Oh, I just know Rich and that's it. I don't know the rest of the yeah, game. Yeah, I knew Rich and Shannon. Okay. So everybody knows Rich. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So that, that's, that's... He's the, the friend, that's the you know. He's the common yeah. denominator. He's the, Kevin, he's the Kevin Bacon. Like the exactly. Okay. Yeah, one degree. He's the, a quarter, <laughs> the quarterback. There you go. There you go. So I get, interesting question from this scene. You know, everybody getting together for the first time. I mean, you guys all know Rich and Rich puts this together and you guys are talking for the first time, organizing your thoughts to bring up in front of an audience basically. And so uh, 
my second to last question for all of you is what is the best, most important thing you learned from each other? Just that one thing, we'll limit it down to each person from this experience. It's hard to limit it to one. <laughs> I mean, everyone, we, we all have different perspectives, you know, like I, I learned more um, about like web film and, and what's going on with that. And, and from, you know, what happens at Sundance like this year, it, it's really, you know, it, it seems really like people are going to these film festivals less to get distribution, more just as a promotional thing. And, and that's something that's really been happening more and more over the past 15 years. Well, I learned from Emily that there's this whole underground of horror films and, uh, and film <laughs> festivals devoted to horror films, and I'm a huge horror film addict, so yeah. I really uh, appreciated that. And it is not a horrible underground either. Yeah. <laughs> I learned from Jose's comments uh, about the perspective of the big companies and, and what they're looking for, and really it's a stark contrast to what some of the independent filmmakers may believe and so it's helpful to understand and sort of be able to, to manage people's expectations uh, if you're representing a, a client. I actually learned much more about music rights. So I had to do research for the panel, and in doing so, I learned it's a very complex but very interesting area, definitely. So I learned a lot about the tax benefits from Emily because I don't really know too much about tax incentives <laughs> and how every state is very different, particularly um, the states that she's barred in, such as Louisiana and Florida. So I think that learning different things from every panelist was one of the assets from this panel. And California. <laughs> and Tyler. Thanks, Nita. Yeah, I definitely took so much away from, I feel like as a, a young creative that you think, okay, I should have a, an entertainment lawyer get some kind of consultation. But then when you start to really hear these specific and really enlightening perspectives of all of the different aspects of legal and you start to get into the nitty-gritty of okay intellectual property and distribution and the digital space and it's so much to wrap your head around but it's also fantastic to realize okay there's all of these different kinds of people that I really need to get to know and have this kind of a support system moving forward if I want to get to X, Y, and Z. You know, if you want to be making the next big like remake of a production, you know, like that Beauty and the Beast film coming out or how that guy, uh, what's his name, Colin, who just directed Jurassic World, he got to do that and he began as a Sundance filmmaker. If you want to get into all of that, you need to understand that you need to build this team around you to support that, that knows the things that you didn't know in film school because you decided to take production classes instead of entertainment law. And last but not least, <laughs> Rich. We are all students of life, regardless of our age. Let me tell you what I've learned from this incredible group. I've learned from Netta how important it is for tomorrow's lawyers to be knowledgeable, bright, articulate, and helpful and of service to her clients and to the world. She's one of tomorrow's leaders. I've learned from Brian what bravery is all about. He is a military veteran. He is a wonderful person, warm, embracing, loves everyone, and cares for the industry. That makes him important. I've learned from Emily calmness, patience, high intelligence, and knowledge. I've learned And a dirty from mouth. <laughs> she does. She has kind of an explicit mouth. But I forgive her for that. I've learned from Tyler what it's like for tomorrow's future directors to be thinking today. He is going to be an incredibly famous director. My friend Jose here is one of the finest lawyers that I know of in our field. He is incredibly knowledgeable 
in television particularly well, Latin, Anglo, it makes no difference. And I've learned from our lovely uh, Shannon some things about intelligence, bravery. She's a proud mom. She has a wonderful son. She touches everyone with her knowledge and presence and her warmth. I'm the lucky one. I get to hang out with them. And they're stuck with me. And Shannon makes these cool videos that, uh, that we were just yes, watching. Yes, Legal Fox TV on YouTube. There you go. <laughs> Legal Fox TV on YouTube. Yes. Okay, fantastic. So I just have one last question for you guys. It's an easy one. So uh, obviously we have lawyers listening, perhaps some, some future people working in the industry uh, listening as well. And they may have questions. They may want to follow up on uh, the things that we've discussed or the things that went on in your panel or your professional expertise and background. And so in closing, would you mind leaving some contact information for them? And so, because there's so many of us on this panel, if you could do your first and last name one more time and then your contact information, that'd be perfect. So who wants to go first? I think... Should we do Rich? Do you want to go first? Fine. All right. My name's Richard Warren Rappaport. I practice in Florida, New York, and Washington, D.C. My office is in Boca Raton and Miami Beach. And I can be reached at area code 561-910-3066, or you can find me online. My name is Neda Gomeshi. I'll be transitioning to a new firm starting next week at Liebler Gonzalez Portiondo. I can be reached at 954 605 3002 or my first and last name at gmail.com. My name is Brian Thompson. I run the Miami Web Series Festival, which is a digital media festival. Uh, I can be reached at uh, B-R-Y-A-N at Miami Web Fest, as in festival, MiamiWebFest.com. My name is Emily Graham. You can reach me at my Twitter handle at Emily Graham Esquire and also Emily Patricia Graham at gmail.com. My name is Tyler Rabinowitz. Best way to reach me would be email. You could reach me at tyler.rabinowitz. That's R-A-B as in boy, I-N-O-W-I-T-Z at gmail.com or 561-827-3957. And the best place to reach me is on my LinkedIn page. Uh, just look up Jose, J-O-S-E, Sariego, S as in Sam, A-R-I-E-G-O. Shannon M. Harvey and my law office, the law offices of Shannon Harvey, is celebrating its 10th anniversary this year. And I could be reached at Shannon at LegalFox.net. Shannon at LegalFox.net. Yes, um, Lawrence, let me give you my email, too. This is Rich Rappaport again. It is rwr at rappaportarts.com. That's R-A-P-P-A-P-O-R-T-A-R-T-S dot com. Well, we've reached the end of the road for this episode, but I want to thank our guests for joining us. I also want to thank Mr. Brian Thompson for his service to our country. Thank you, sir. And also thank our listeners for tuning in. If you like what you've heard today, please rate us on iTunes, and we'll see you next time for another episode of On the Road with Legal Talk Network. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. If you'd like more information about what you heard today, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS, find us on Twitter and Facebook, or download our free Legal Talk Network app in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.